Because um, grocery stores haven't really changed. They're kind of rigid structures and you have to mold your life around it. We see that kind of reversing in the future. You know, even though we're here in a physical structure where the shopping is happening, we are very much an acknowledgement of the idea that physical structures to sell food may not be necessary in the process in the future. Um, I think even though this is on a big 46 inch touchscreen, we could have this on your mobile phone, you know, and you could have your food picked in packages. Those ideas about the future of grocery stores might sound kind of far-fetched, but recent news in the industry indicates that that future could come sooner rather than later. Amazon looking at Whole Foods to buy Whole Foods Market. Amazon to buy Whole Foods Market for $42 a share. It, this, well, is, this is a big, big push into the food, into the food area. Well, Amazon has made no secret of the fact they want to go into this. They want to deliver our groceries uh, instantaneously to our homes. That this would be a big step up, even as we sell. Few things are as universally familiar as the grocery store. Most of us could practically navigate one blindfolded. But that tried-and-true design is starting to feel a little old-fashioned. Grocery stores are struggling. Technology and changing consumer preferences are impacting how people want to shop and what kinds of products they're looking for. Today on Material World, we're looking at how and why the grocery store has to change. With the news you heard at the top of the show, the future of grocery may be coming even faster than previously expected. I'm Jenny Kaplan, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by a returning guest host and Bloomberg's resident grocery expert, Craig Giamona. It's good to be back, especially to discuss something so timely. Longtime listeners know that I cover the grocery store industry, including Whole Foods, Kroger, and others, as well as the big packaged food companies whose products reside largely in the middle of the grocery store, which is an area that uh, some say is dying. So what's happening here? Why would Whole Foods and Amazon have any desire to join up? The first thing is that Whole Foods has been struggling. You know, their sales and profit are down, and they've been hit really hard by the rise of organic food at conventional stores. That's put Whole Foods under a lot of pressure, including from Wall Street, saying that they have to fix the company. And for Amazon, if they can figure it out, this makes them a big-time grocery player. When people talk about the grocery business, they, you know, they call it an $800 million business. And I've seen estimates as high as $1.5 trillion if you start including things like paper towels, garbage bags, soap, all of that stuff. Honestly, it's probably bigger because grocery stores at this point are competing against restaurants and fast food and gas stations and convenience stores for what's known as stomach share, which is, you know, basically all the stuff we eat. There's just a lot of places to get food now. Amazon's problem, and they're not alone in this, is making money delivering fresh food. So Amazon's really been trying to figure out fresh food for 10 years, and it hasn't worked. It's very difficult to make a profit doing what people call the last mile, which is getting food basically to your doorstep. That's the big reason that they're buying Whole Foods. It gives them a brand that will let them sort of dive into fresh food. It's a very credible brand. It's known to people. But still, you know, it's a very, very small business. At this point, only about 1% of food is bought online. But even before this deal, there was a sense that that was changing, that it's going to start moving towards 10%. So it's been a really difficult time for the grocery industry, basically because of a record run of food deflation. You know, you've seen food prices drop for, I think, 18 straight months year over year. And that's the longest streak we've seen in more than 60 years. And what that's done is really prompted a price war 
in groceries. Plus, there's just a lot of places to buy food. And the grocery industry historically has very, very thin margins and needs people to shop regularly and to buy a lot of stuff. So anytime people are buying stuff they otherwise bought at grocery stores at other places, that's a problem. There's also a change in how people are eating. People just aren't buying as much soda, for example. And I don't know when the last time I bought cereal was. That's right. I mean, you're not alone on that. Things like cereal, yogurt, even certain types of snack bars, just sort of these brands that are made by the big package food companies that have dominated grocery stores for 30, 40 years, there's a decline in those items. And, you know, that's been a problem for the grocery stores, too, because when people want less of that stuff, maybe they come less often. And again, this is all sort of reverberating through the grocery industry and putting a lot of pressure on them at a time when here comes Amazon pushing very hard into your industry. And we've seen e-commerce kind of really disrupt other industries, whether it's electronics, apparel, books. And the feeling is that we're at the ground floor of that happening in the grocery industry. People felt that way before the Amazon deal, and now they very much feel that way. Let's rewind here for a second. How did grocery stores as we know them develop in the first place? Well, of course, it started off as like the, uh, the trading post back in the early, early uh, part of our country's history. That's grocery expert Michael Ruhlman. He recently wrote a book called Grocery, the Buying and Selling of Food in America. Before 1930, all our stuffs were bought in particular stores. Anything that could stay on a shelf, whether it was nails or shoes or baking powder, was sold in a store that would become a grocery store. You'd get your produce elsewhere. By the 20s, this was in full swing. You would go to the greengrocer for your vegetables. You'd go to a dairy store for your milk, butter, and eggs. You'd go to a fishmonger for fish, a butcher for meat. And you'd go to a grocer for, again, anything that was shelf-stable. In 1930, uh, shortly after the Depression hit, uh, King Cullen opened in Jamaica, Queens, and that was in 3,000 square feet, reported to be the biggest or the first supermarket, the first market that had everything under one roof. 3,000 feet is, is very small now. Now there, you know, grocery stores can be, a small one is 40,000 feet and a big one is 100,000 feet, square feet. That was the first supermarket and they grew and grew as our country grew after World War II, after we started branching out into the suburbs. Uh, highways started to dominate. We had plenty of parking. These stores became massive. Technological advancements allowed for the creation of one-stop grocery shops, and suburbanization fueled the industry's growth. In the 30s, refrigeration was now affordable, so a grocer could stock dairy and stock meat and stock fish. So technology allowed the supermarket to evolve. The highways allowed the supermarket to evolve into the big places that they are today throughout America. Then in the late 80s, things started to change. The important thing about where we are now in grocery, and it began in 1988 for two reasons. Walmart entered the scene in 1988, overnight became the biggest grocery store in the country. This showed that a department store, like a Target, can also sell food. Drugstores can sell food. When I was growing up in the 70s in Cleveland, you couldn't go into a drugstore and buy a quart of milk. So it represented the first big fragmentation of food retail. The second thing was the emergence of Whole Food on a national scale. In 1988, Whole Foods branches out into uh, other markets, other states beyond Austin, Texas. It was so successful, it, John Mackey actually allowed farmers to grow organic. He showed that there was enough of a market for organic and changed the product that was on our shelves all, almost single-handedly. So that's where we are now, and it's going to fragment even more as 
products explode. There were 10,000 products in the grocery store in 1997. Now there's 40 to 50,000 products. With all this fragmentation, it's important to reiterate how tough it is to be in the grocery business, even in good times. There are now 38,000 grocery stores throughout the country, and that is a supermarket, traditional supermarket that does more than $2 million in sales a year, um, which is not a lot of money. The amazing thing about grocery stores is, of course, the razor-slim margins that they work on. The small family chain that I write about, Heinen's in Cleveland, they have 24 stores now. They do $600 million in sales, um, and they're still considered a small family business because they'll only, they'll only do 1.25% uh, profit. So it's a very hard business. Everyone is scrambling. There's fewer and fewer family grocery stores who have been able to exist in this market with such fine margins. You have to do a lot of volume to make those margins work. It's not just the family grocery stores that are struggling. The big guys like Kroger are having issues too. And for online retailers, it's taken them a while to figure out food, but the change is definitely coming. The Cheerios you buy for your kids are going to be the same whether or not you get them at a Wegmans, which is a high-end grocery store, or a Kroger's, which is a, you know, a huge Midwestern-based chain. Those are all going to be, I predict, delivered to us. And it's the one thing grocers have told me. What keeps them up? They used to be afraid of Walmart coming into it, uh, into the market, and then they used to be afraid of Whole Foods. They found that that's not, that doesn't hurt them. What they're really scared of now is Amazon. Which brings us back to where we started at the top of the show. That's right. Times are definitely changing, and the feeling is the grocery industry is primed for disruption. You know, in some ways, Amazon's $13.7 billion offer for Whole Foods shows that there is a need for brick-and-mortar stores. You know, Amazon's been trying this, like I said, for 10 years, and now here they are buying a grocery store chain that has a brick-and-mortar presence. So maybe they need that grocery model, or at least the real estate behind that model, in order to figure out online shopping. You've got startups like Blue Apron and Plated. They've tried to make online work, but they've had a, a difficult time with logistics and making a profit. At the same time, physical stores alone aren't working either. Grocery stores and the big box retailers like Walmart are trying a lot of different ways to boost their grocery business. They're using a thing called click and collect, where that allows you to shop online and then go pick up the items in the store. We spoke with one guy who has an idea of where this is all going. Mike Lee is the founder of The Future Market and a company called Alpha Food Labs that works with big and small food companies to create innovative products. Mike built a model of what a future grocery store might look like for a food trade show here in New York. Mike says he hopes the exhibit will bring in business from big food company clients that have been struggling to innovate and have the resources to make his team's ideas a reality. The Future Market is a conceptual grocery store that imagines what the world of food through the lens of a grocery store will look like in the next 25 years. It's a vision akin to how auto shows create concept cars to show the vision of the future of where that industry is going. We didn't see anything like that in the food industry, so we wanted to create it. We wanted to create this space where you could think speculatively about the future and create products and experiences that illuminate what is food going to look like in the year 2042? What is the grocery store aisle going to look like? What's it going to feel like? What would we buy? What are the products going to be made of? So that's really what the future market is. Mike says future stores are going to integrate technology directly into the shopping experience and optimize online ordering. You're going to see the bifurcation of the place where you shop for food and the place where food gets to you. So currently in a grocery store, the warehousing of the food and the shopping experience are the same thing. 
big clunky aisles that can't really move and you can't customize anything. What we have is we have a digital kiosk system, which can happen in a central retail environment, but it can also happen portably on your mobile phone, on your your app or on online or whatever. And it's a place where you can order and we can do stuff like customize the whole experience to you. So one of the things that we have in our experience is you're met with a questionnaire. We try to figure out what kind of shopper you are. And based off of that, we show you the products that we think are going to be best for you. So our whole idea is to say Netflix can do this and show movies that are right for you. Why can't we do this for the grocery store? And the reason we can do that is because we've separated out the place that you shop from the place that you receive the goods. Because you can't rearrange the shelves in a physical space to form, but you can rearrange the digital part of it. Uh, and then what happens is you shop through the digital kiosk, and then there's a fulfillment center at the end of the experience where you pick up your groceries. Mike's goal is to push food companies out of their comfort zones when it comes to innovative opportunities. He and his team developed the pop-up over the course of three years. They designed what the actual store might look like, and also some of the future packaged foods we could find there. To check out the final product, they headed to the Fancy Food Show in New York. Well, I mean, I guess just tell me what we're looking at here and kind of what okay. this is. So um, the centerpiece of the Future Market experience is our 22 concept products, which are filtered through a digital shopping app, which we get your food ID profile. Food ID is a, is a system, a conceptual system that we created that is sort of how you like to buy and consume food. Okay. And so we ask you a few questions to kind of glean that food ID profile, but in the future we imagine it might be done through biometrics or sensors or stuff like that. Is your thought that this would be like the kind of thing that would be at the, be oh, like a, at the entrance to a store? The idea is that the shelf would mold around you. And I think with kind of recent developments around Amazon and Whole Foods, that idea of a store that molds around your preferences has become a lot more close to where we are. So this is, we're looking at sort of a digital screen right here where you're typing stuff in. But obviously, if, if a store had this, I could go on before I visit the store online Absolutely. and sort of fill out all kinds of questions. And then the idea would be when I show up, I get a customized shopping experience. Absolutely. And if you get like sensors, uh, biometric sensors into the mix as well, we imagine a future where it's automatically recorded for you. So your food, how it reacted with your body, how it affects the pH of your body, that's recorded and calibrated. So essentially what we have on the screen here is just a simple questionnaire that's sort of like a personality test, but just for food. And there's 12 questions. The first question is, are you more inclined to choose foods that dot, dot, dot? Two choices are reduce global warming or reduce your weight. I'm going to choose global warming, organic agriculture, or on sale at promotional price, agriculture. Introduce healthy pre-probiotics or introduce new exciting flavors. I'm going to choose flavors. Good for your taste buds or good for your energy levels. I'm going to choose taste buds. And last question, good give you energy or give you financial savings. I'm going to choose energy. Okay, so this has profiled me as a serious gourmand. Everyone's on a spectrum of gourmet, healthy, value, or sustainable. Once you've got the profile of a serious gourmand nailed down, you click on the View My Products button, and we've got the top eight products that we've chosen for you out of our bank of 22 products. Um, these are products that we wish we would see in the next 25 years. We have a product called Digital Degustation. So much like you download a song on iTunes and listen to it, um, if you have a 3D food printer, you could download a menu from a famous restaurant and then print that on your, on your printer. We have a product called Nano Brew, which takes the idea of terroir to the extreme. It's a personal home brewing kit that brews beer, but also captures wild yeast from your home in order to do that. 
We have a product called Heritage Culture, which is based off of cellular agriculture, so the growing of meat cells in a nutrient broth to create meat. So uh, any of these products that you're interested in, um, we can add them to your cart, tasting box, it's a 17-course fine dining experience that's dehydrated. Every single course is in a separate dehydrated meal. We imagine this is space food at its finest. We get a lot of people asking, when can I buy this? When does this arrive? And we have to sort of talk people down from the ledge and say, no, these are just concepts. So I would consider that a win uh, if we're getting people to think that these are real products right now. So, Craig, what do you think of Mike's ideas? The basic takeaway and what Mike is saying is that in the future, the grocery store is going to sort of know a lot about me. And this honestly plays into what I think Amazon and Whole Foods is all about, that Amazon really knows the customer and that that's what people are demanding in this day and age, that sort of walking down a grocery aisle with all the same cereal and all the same stuff, that that's not going to be enough. That's not what the customer wants. What they want is sort of a tailored, customized shopping experience. And with Mike's model, you enter things, as he said, you know, are you trying to emphasize price or sustainability? Are you trying to emphasize taste or, you know, whether the product is organic? So in the future... All of that stuff will be known about me, and they'll kind of push products to me directly on that basis. Big food is really struggling, as we know. People just aren't buying a lot or as much of their products as they used to. And one of the big knocks on them is that they don't know how to innovate. These are massive, gigantic companies that take a long time to move. And one thing about consumer trends is they move faster right now than they ever have because of the flow of information. And, you know, one day kale is hot and that trend lasts for six months. That's too quick for big food. By the time they figure out how to make a kale product, we've moved on to quinoa or we've moved on to something else. So I think what, what Mike is suggesting here is that in the future, these companies are going to have to be way more nimble and they're going to have to use their massive scale to kind of get a product onto the market fast to hit the way trends move, because trends just move very, very fast right now. Mike's grocery concept was designed to be 25 years out, but stores clearly have to start shifting much sooner than that. You're seeing the last mile get smaller and smaller and smaller. You're seeing all the meal kits attacking. And, you know, the meal kits are interesting experiences, but the true secret is they're masters at supply chain. Um, so that's getting smaller. You're seeing Amazon get on the boat. They're chasing after a grocery really hard. And there's going to be a, a day in the somewhere near future where they're going to have figured it out. And it's going to be really sort of insignificant to get groceries delivered right to your door wherever you are. We see that writing on the wall and we say, what happens when this becomes the, the rule, not the exception? That may mean reverting to a narrower focus. The people behind Heinen's, the grocery store Michael Ruman chronicled in his book, say the future of grocery may be going back to the industry's origins. They recognized things were changing very quickly in the mid-90s. That They, they had to change as a, as a store and they knew that they had to uh, train their their employees, their associates, uh, and determined to focus on customer service as what would keep bringing people back. But in the final days of my reporting, I was walking around the store with Jeff Heinen, and he looked out at the vast sort of center store, uh, and you know, with its paper towels and its seltzer water and its Cheerios and its chips and all of that stuff. He said, you know, I see this shrinking. I see grocery stores getting smaller and smaller. And who knows, pretty soon we may just become a purveyor of specialty goods as we had begun. Feed me, feed me, feed me till I'm fit to bust. A little glass of lemonade's the thing to quench the thirst. 
I'm in the mood for food. Afternoon to pass the time, cucumber sandwiches. We talk about groceries' future here a lot, and the hypothesis we often land on is a hybrid click and collect model. I can't imagine giving up that tactile shopping experience for produce. But then again, maybe I'm not thinking far enough out. I mean, it wasn't very long ago that consumers said they wouldn't buy shoes online either, and obviously that's changed. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, there's a lot of different things that these grocery stores are experimenting with, you know, whether it's click and collect or delivery. And the analysts that I talk to say that ultimately it's going to be some blend of all these things. You know, people want quality, price, and convenience are kind of the three big driving factors. I mean, look at the Whole Foods stores in New York City. Look at the new one in Bryant Park or the one in Williamsburg. Those stores are destinations for a set of reasons that go way beyond grocery shopping. You know, you go to the Williamsburg store, there's a bar in the basement where people are having trivia night. They're sitting there having burgers, they're having drinks, you know, maybe they're grabbing some stuff on their way out. So do I think the grocery store is going to go away? Probably not. But there's a whole host of issues that happen when we start talking about sales moving to different places and, and they're stuck with all this real estate. But, you know, there's also the fact that people like grocery shopping. I mean, I know I like going to the grocery store. It's it's a fun experience to sort of see what's there and pick stuff out to cook. So I think we're moving to a place where maybe the grocery stores are showcases. You know, maybe the Whole Foods become places where you go and you see meat and you see chefs doing demonstrations and there's produce, but I get the rest of my stuff delivered. So the the interesting thing here is that we're at this point in time where everyone sort of realizes change is happening, but no one is really quite sure exactly where it's headed. It could be someone new altogether. I mean, there could be a couple of people in a garage somewhere that don't have the kind of real estate footprint that traditional grocery stores have that, due to this industry, what Amazon wants to do to bookstores. That's right. I mean, right now, everyone is definitely focused on Amazon. And it's important to remember that even before the Whole Foods deal, Amazon was experimenting with brick and mortar concepts. So Amazon had said, we want to have stores. We want to give people the opportunity to pick up groceries. Right now, the focus is on Amazon and what it's going to mean. But you sort of never know what's out there. And, you know, fresh food is tricky. So who comes along and and has a way. Maybe it's Google, maybe it's Apple, who knows, that comes along some tech company that can use their prowess to try to figure this out. That's it for this episode of Material World. Thanks for listening. For more episodes, check out Apple Podcasts, Bloomberg.com, or wherever you listen to shows like this. You can also find our sister show, Game Plan, through those mediums. It's all about life in the workplace. If you want to keep track of what we're working on, we're on Twitter. I'm at SickaWriter, and Jenny's at Jenny M. Kaplan. Michael Ruhlman's book is called Grocery, The Buying and Selling of Food in America. He's on Twitter, at Ruhlman. Mike Lee's future market is at the future MKT. This episode was produced by Magnus Hendrickson and Liz Smith. The head of Bloomberg Podcast is Alec McCabe. We'll be back in two weeks. 